and welcome to the How CMOs Commit podcast. I'm Margaret Malloy, Global Chief Marketing Officer of Siegel & Gale. This is a podcast to explore how the world's top CMOs are building their brands and the professional commitments they are making as leaders. From the decisions facing CMOs to the commitments they are forging, the conversations are uniquely vulnerable and strategic. Please be sure to listen to the end when I provide my reflections. This is how CMOs commit. Hello and welcome to the Siegel and Gale Future of Branding Roundtable. Every episode, we meet a panel of marketing leaders live to explore how they are building their brands. I'm your host, Margaret Malloy, Global Chief Marketing Officer of Siegel & Gale. Siegel & Gale is a preeminent brand strategy, design and experience firm. Continuing our inclusive storytelling series, I'm delighted to welcome you to our Pride Month edition. Today, we will host an important conversation, possibly even more important than in years past. While there is palpable joy at the return of many in-person Pride celebrations, we are also convening against a backdrop of heightened political and cultural polarization. In the United States, for example, there is an unprecedented number of anti-LGBTQ plus bills before lawmakers. As we celebrate our panelists, we'll also ask, what is the role of brands during Pride Month? Should brands express allyship with the community? And if so, how? To explore this, I'm joined by seven marketing and communication leaders. After the introductions, I will have one-on-one -on -one conversations with each. Then we turn to all for our commitments round and, as ever, conclude with my reflections. Friends, let's begin. As I introduce you, please answer this question in one word. When you hear Pride Month, what word comes to mind? And first up is Patrick Lenehan, VP and Head of Communications at Grindr, joining us from Provincetown. A very good afternoon, Patrick. And good afternoon to you. Thank you so much for having me. And your word? Tired. Tired. Oh my, let's, I can tell this is going to be fun already. Let's now go to meet Maeve Duvali, Managing Director, Corporate Communications at Goldman Sachs. And Maeve is with me here in New York. Your word, Maeve. Belonging. Belonging. Let's now go over to London to greet Christoph Nierneck, the CMO of Avon. I, uh, my word is courage. Courage. We're back to New York. Are you in New York today, Kate? To greet Kate Hewitt, the CMO of Bombas. Uh, my word is awareness. Awareness. Next, we go to Bethesda, Maryland, to greet Bruce Rohr, the VP and Global Brand Leader at JW Marriott, Marriott International. My word is advocacy. Advocacy. Chiki Cartagena is in DC, where she is the Senior Advisor, Communication Strategy and Outreach, Bureau of Latin America and the Caribbean, 
USAID. Chiki. Yes, and my word is igualdad. Igualdad. Equality, no? Yes, equality. Fantastico. Okay, off to Austin, Texas we go to greet Megan Stabler, the Senior VP at Big Commerce. Morning, Megan. Good morning. So my word is going to be optimistic. Optimistic. So in due course, we will explore all of those words. Let's begin with you, Patrick. Grinder, location-based social media platform, popular dating app with the LGBTQ plus community. You said your word was tired. Tell us why. The very middle of June, very middle of Pride, and as with every year in the last, you know, maybe call it the last eight, maybe ten years, brands decide that this is the month they would like to show allyship. And given that Grinder is is maybe not the only, but certainly one of the most effective channels to reach a large swath of the LGBTQ population. We get asked a lot to help brands uh, with various brand partnerships and activations to sort of shore up the authenticity of their pride campaigns, which we are very happy to do. We are a marketing channel. We are very happy to work with brands to better connect them with LGBTQ people, particularly gay men around the world. And it's awesome. We love it, but it's exhausting too, because typically we get calls maybe, you know, a couple months before June saying, Hey, actually, can we, can we, can we do something with you? And, you know, there's a whole year and gay people are around. For that whole year. So we would love to work with you not only in June, but throughout the course of the 12 months available to us during which queer people continue to exist and would love to work with your products. So Patrick, one could say that social media is a mirror of culture and society. With that context, what are the challenges you need to work on and that you're addressing at Grinder in terms of the user experience on the app and this idea of community and belonging? So we endeavor to be a place for all queer people. And that's rather challenging because queer people are a, a political community brought together largely by necessity and come in all shapes, sizes, colors, varieties. And so maintaining a community for all queer people is as hard as maintaining a community for everyone in the world. It's next to impossible, but we're, we're certainly going to try. And yeah, just by creating a space that queer people, that is for queer people that have that one thing in common where they don't feel they fit in elsewhere, where at some core, you know, sex is at, you know, at odds with the mainstream, uh, whether it be identity, expression, or desire, we want to create a place where that's where that's safe for them to explore, where they can connect with one another and connect with the world. And so we, we face pretty much every challenge you can imagine a social network facing, except for certain algorithmic megaphone issues that other companies have that we don't, luckily. For us, for Grindr, it's about making sure that we are authentically queer and showing up for our users in a way that makes sense for them and that resonates with them. And because that's what we're focused on doing every single day, it makes us fantastic partners for other brands who are looking to connect with that community. And not only do we have a direct channel to a large swath of that population globally, but we have expertise in content moderation, in marketing, and pretty much anything you can imagine doing for the queer community in our HR resources, right? We have, I think, some of the most progressive, advanced, and well-developed gender affirmation benefits in the world, right, that take away the need for getting written consents from several psychologists in order to get care that you know that you need. And so 
anyone who is looking to do something with the queer community, like we are a, a very open resource. We have open arms. Anyone who is interested in engaging authentically with us and with our users, you know, we would we would welcome phone calls and conversations, every every single one of us at the company. With the commercial done, Patrick. <laughs> Appreciate that. Tell us what you're doing just ever so briefly, and I recognize it's a challenge to maintain safety on the platform for your members. Absolutely. So we, we actually depend on our community for flagging bad actors on the platform. That's primarily how we've gone about it for the last 13 years. We are actually at an inflection point now where, you know, proactive and algorithmic machine learning content moderation has not really been very sensitive and has not been sensitive enough to deploy with a queer population. Hasn't been just hasn't the models haven't been run on queer people. We finally found after 13 years, a partner who is thoughtful enough to help us develop machine learning content moderation algorithms. So now we can start to get a, a more proactive in moderating against things like harassment, solicitation, drug abuse and sales and underage users on our platform. And that's a company called Spectrum Labs. So actually, you know, anybody who's hearing this, this is the first time you'll be hearing this. We are over the course of the next six months going to be ro rolling that out so that we will not only be working with our community to, pro to flag bad actors on our platform and keep people safe, but we'll be looking algorithmic, you know, via machine learning models to proactively tackle some bad actions that have uh, people had issues with in the past. So we're excited about that. And, you know, again, continuing to just stay authentic is, is one of the most important things we can do to make people feel safe, I think. Patrick, thank you. Thank you for sharing that with our audience. And finally, how has allyship evolved over your career? You have a very interesting perch at Grindr in terms of how you see that. And where are we now in that conversation? I started my career at Google. And when I was at Google, it was the first few years, it was it was uh, cutting edge to do a pride campaign. And that's amazing, right? That was amazing. Then there were companies standing up and it was, I think, truly something that was uh, that was kind of brave for some brands to do. Now every brand does it. And it feels like, you know, they're checking a box every June when they change their LinkedIn logo. So which in some ways is great. The fact that it's so pro forma and everyone's doing it and so much so that it's annoying people like that's actually, I think, a good thing and a good sign of broad acceptance in corporate America. But it also is very much just feels like checking a box for a lot of companies. It doesn't feel authentic. People get called out on it all the time. And so. You know, I think that anybody who's thinking about what they need to do and how they might want to show up in a more authentic fashion is you don't have to run a pride, pride campaign. You don't have to change your LinkedIn logo. You really don't have to. If you don't know exactly what you need to do to connect with your the LGBT people who are relevant to your business's audience, maybe think about instead of running a pride campaign, giving that money to someone like a Lambda Legal and working with them. And they will happily give you the laurels that you're looking for, for having done that. But, you know, think about how you're spending your money, because if it's just to make yourselves look good, that's not a great use of funds. If it's, you know, to actually support the LGBTQ community and help them, help us address the various legal issues uh, and cultural issues that we face. Yeah, that. Lambda Legal. All Trans right. Center. Thank you. Thank you for that, Patrick. And let's now go to a friend of yours I know, Maeve Duvali. As I mentioned, Maeve is cor leads corporate communications at Goldman Sachs, a leading global investment bank. Maeve, I believe your word was belonging. Tell us why. Sure. First, I'd like to say hi to Patrick. I'll be up there soon and I'll see you there. 
And uh, yeah, I chose belonging because, and this is gonna vary from year to year, depending on my evolution as a human being and the environment, but this year, uh, belonging really means something to me. I came out relatively recently, about three years ago, and initially I was focused on my own transition, but beginning last year, I really became aware that I was part of something bigger, the LGBTQ plus community. And as I did so, I just became aware of, you know, there's a lot of transphobia out there right now, but our communities united to confront that and do something about it. And, and I really feel a lot of comfort that I have this bigger group that, that has the back of the transgender people in the community. Maeve, you're at one of the leading global investment banks. What's your perspective on whether brands should express allyship with the community and, and more broadly have a point of view on social issues? I believe companies should, but there are ways of doing it that aren't really out there where you're kind of taking on uh, politicians in a certain state that's promulgating really bad transphobic laws, which we have a lot of right now. And for example, uh, in March, it's Transgender Day of Visibility. We took a kind of a group photo and our CEO came down for that. And so did a lot of other senior people at the firm. And we posted that internally, externally. That sends a loud message that the leadership of the firm stands with our transgender employees. Likewise, I just, I just uh, moderated a panel at Goldman Sachs yesterday on transgender healthcare. What's the best way to confront all these this, this, these lies about transgender healthcare that you're hearing everywhere? It's to hold a panel on transgender healthcare with healthcare professionals to talk about the importance of transgender healthcare. Maeve, your story around your transition was covered very publicly. I believe it was in the New York Times. I would encourage people to take a look. It's an extraordinary story. Anything you would like to share with us in terms of how Goldman Sachs worked with you and was a great place to be during your transition? Sure. Goldman Sachs did a number of things to support me, but the best thing that they did was very early in the process when I told them I wanted to come out, they assigned somebody from human resources to be my relationship manager. And any issue that arose, that person took care of for me. She may not have known immediately how to how to handle it, but she learned. And by doing that, Goldman Sachs is just going to get better and better each time a transgender employee comes and they want to come out. I know at Goldman Sachs, client engagement is very important to your business. How does your commitment to inclusive storytelling align with your desires to have well-formed client relationships? Sure, I love the topic of inclusive storytelling. And uh, up until now, I've been co-head of our client engagement pillar on our LGBTQ plus ERG. And the power of inclusive storytelling is identification. Identification is everything. Identifying with another person's story and uh, feeling kinship with that person, that's kind of the glue that holds us together. And that binding power of identification can lead to more business. And it has for us. So I think they're very tied together. What would you say to someone who says, off topic, in the sense that you're uh, supporting financial transactions and people's orientation. You've no place to be in that conversation. 
I guess my question is, what's your reaction to that? And how frequently do you hear that notion voiced, expressed or otherwise in 2022? Around me, I don't hear that expressed at all. And I don't believe that on some of my days, given the work I do for the ERG, the people I mentor, other things I do, I spend half my day on LGBTQ plus issues that aren't directly related to my job. And as long as I get my job done, I'm encouraged to do that. And uh, it's not off topic. It's very important. And, you know, visibility really is the key, especially during Pride Month and throughout the year. But we just have to be out there and uh, talking about the issues that matter and the importance of being authentic and true to ourselves because some people in the community aren't ready to do that yet or aren't able to do that yet. So those of us who can need to be out there. What is Goldman Sachs doing this year to honor Pride Month? So we always have a series of events, like a lot of companies do during Pride Month, but we had this really nice social media campaign this year called My Outcome. And all the people in our LGBTQ plus network were encouraged to submit a picture. It was put in a nice slick banner. And we all talked about what being out meant to us. And the ubiquity of that is really noticeable un under a common banner. And it's been very gratifying for people internally. And I think it sends a powerful message that people at Goldman Sachs who are queer want to be visible. How can brands avoid rainbow washing in general, Maeve? You've been very thoughtful on this topic. So I keep saying visibility, but visibility is key. If you just put up just a rainbow flag on your website or outside your store, but nobody's visible, then that's not very good, in, in my opinion. You have to get members, you have to get allies and queer members of your company out there talking about the pressing issues and being visible. And if you do that, you're really adding value. Okay, thank you, Maeve. Let's now go over to London, to Christoph. And Christoph, your word was courage. Tell us why. Uh, it was, and you know, the, the reason why I chose courage as the key word uh, is, is because, you know, similar to what was mentioned before, it's that time of the year for companies and brands to kind of show their true colors in the sense that, you know, not just rainbow washing their logo for just a couple of weeks, but actually showing what they've been doing for a support for the LGBTQAI plus community for the whole year and not just for the month of June. And, you know, and that takes courage. I mean, and I use the word courage also for my personal context, because, you know, some people might know Avon as a direct selling business in the US, but actually we do business in over 70 countries. And that includes a whole raft of countries where, you know, queer topics are actually a bit more difficult to manage. But, you know, even in, in my, even as recent as yesterday, I got a letter from a consumer, you know, protesting, it was here in the UK, actually, uh, protesting about the fact that we, we actually had, you know, a whole section around pride in our brochures, for example. And she was saying, uh, stop shoving it down my throat and whatever have you. And that's in a market where supposedly some of these topics are a bit easier to address. But again, I think it's important as a brand that you show courage to, you know, continue on that road of equity, equality, and continue to raise those issues, whether it's in markets like the UK or whether it's in Central Eastern European markets or Latin American markets. So, so it's really important that you live that by your purpose as a brand, I guess. 
And Avon is such an interesting brand in this context because you represent makeup. And of course, you're also the number one fragrance uh, purveyor. That's such an interesting product from a self-expression standpoint. I'm curious about your heritage in the sense that you provide earning and learning opportunities for over 5 million women around the world. How do you reconcile that in the context of Pride Month and the broader discussion around gender? Yeah, indeed. And maybe for the benefit of the audience, a bit of background on Avon. So the brand was founded 135 years ago, actually, and it was all around behind a brand belief that a better world for women is actually a better world for all. And in that sense, we you know, we provided the opportunity to women to become their own entrepreneur, their beauty entrepreneur. And that was 60 odd years before the UN Declaration of Human Rights that you know asserted equal rights for men and women and decades before women could even vote. So we have indeed a strong heritage in that. But I guess the, the first point to, to emphasize is that whilst our brand purpose is centered around that. Of course, we are a business that is inclusive to all, whether that's you know, sexual orientation, gender identity, disability, nationality, race, religious belief, age, all of those things you know, don't really matter when it comes to our associates, our representatives and our consumers. And you'll see that reflected in our marketing activities and everything we do all year round, not just around the time of Pride that we you know we, we use men in makeup etc all year round not just around Pride Month, but this being said you know in this time of year but more importantly all year round we do take a you know and we stand all united against in favour of this progress for women but around this time we really need to broaden out and, and support women in the broader sense because you know not all women are cis women you know think about trans women, trans men, non-binary community. So hence, during Pride Month, we really stand for supporting women in the broadest sense. And, and maybe I'll give a, an example of an activity that we did in Brazil, actually. It actually just won three Clio Awards there for, for its creativity and its, its performance. And, and maybe some background for the audience, actually. Brazil has been the transsexual murder capital of the world, if you want, for now 13 years in a row. And the Ministry of Health there has actually removed all health guidelines for trans people, uh, of course, under the influence on, of their very conservative leadership. And, you know, we have all kinds of health campaigns around, you know, Pink October, around breast cancer, Blue November, around prostate cancer. And these have not really spoken to the trans community in a way that, you know, was relevant. And that's why we kind of put out created this space between pink and blue, i.e. violet. We created Violet Month that we celebrated between the 15th of pink October and the 15th of blue November to talk about trans health. And again, this is in a country where being trans is, is really difficult. And so, uh, so we launched actually a film with lots of influencers. You know, we also uh, collected all of the main health questions that trans people were asking themselves, you know, for example, do I need to get a regular prostate checkup as a, as a trans woman, or do I, you know, need to get breast cancer screening as a, as a trans man? You know, gender transition, hormone treatment risks, all of those topics that we're living amongst this community. But as eighty nine percent of trans people cannot afford 
healthcare in Brazil, there was really no way to help, you know, they, they can't find the answers to these questions easily. And so that's where we teamed up with these professionals. And actually, if you go on our social media channels in Brazil, you can still find that content out there. You know, we also provided 2000 medical, free medical appointments, etc. But, you know, it's, it takes courage as a brand in that context to take a stand and actually support the trans community in such a prominent way. But, and, and that's why, again, linking it back to my one word that I chose, it takes courage. You know? Okay, thank you for sharing that example regarding Brazil. More generally, Christoph, how do you think about markets where there is known sensitivity, if you will? What is the insight or the framework you use to navigate your marketing to the LGBTQ plus community in those markets? Yeah, it's, it's a really good question. And, and it's not a straightforward answer, unfortunately, because of course, in some markets, there, there is death penalty, right? And so uh, against LGBTQIA plus people. So, so you can't just say to your colleagues, yeah, just go out and, you know, put some messages out there because they would put themselves in, uh, in, in really difficult positions. So, so the, the, the kind of overall framework we use is, you know, if there is no law against it, and if we don't put our representatives or our colleagues uh, in a potential really difficult legal position, then of course we don't do it. But if, if there is no such laws, uh, so where it's not against the law, we stay the course because, you know, inclusivity is a key value of Avon. And I've given just the, the Violet Month example, which again got lots of positive reactions, but it equally got a whole raft of negative reactions. Yes. But yes. I, I described the example of the letter we got in the UK, uh, and we get those all over the world. Even I'm thinking now of South Africa, where we, we did a similar media sponsorship now, uh, not just around Pride Month, but again, all year round, to really you know, stay in that community, support that community, because I feel as a brand, one of the things you have is you have a voice. And I think it's upon us all as brand leaders to use that voice wisely and hence support the LGBTQIA plus community and, and use your voice for good, I guess. Okay, thank you for that, Christoph. Let's now go back to Kate at Bombas. Kate, your word was awareness. Tell us the thinking behind that. So it comes both from the personal and from the my time at Bombas. I remember I came out basically in a very small liberal arts school in the Northeast. And so my initial experience of the LGBTQIA plus community was very, very, very small. And I remember my first time in New York and also at the time media visibility was very low. It was like early, you know, still like early-ish days of the internet. And I remember I came to New York Pride and I was just blown away by how many different ways there were to be queer, how like just the extraordinary range of that experience. And I think, it, that awareness was really, really powerful in shaping my understanding of my own queer identity. In terms of Bombas, you're famous for having a mission around helping those in need. Yes. So tell us about the intersection of Pride Month and Bombas. I think many of us are aware, particularly in the homeless community, mm -hmm. over-indexing in LGBTQ plus people. Yeah, um, so this comes back to awareness as well. So most people don't know, I definitely didn't know before I started at Bombas, but four out of every 10 homeless youth are queer, which is just, you know, very over-indexed relative to the general population. Awareness is the first step to being able 
to do anything about it. We launched our first Pride collection in 2019 with the goal of raising awareness about that statistic um, and providing comfort for LGBTQIA plus individuals. Over time, we've expanded that offering. So we now offer, you know, not just socks, but t-shirts, underwear, and slippers. And we've also expanded the, the Pride collection into kids. Uh, but the sort of through line over the past few years is staying really close to that, raising awareness around that that intersectional issue of, of LGBTQIA plus homelessness. How do you respond to consumers or others who may say, why do a pride collection? Yeah, I think for us, because there are a lot of issues that brands can speak about when we decide you know, where to focus, we always take issues through the lens of our mission. And because there was such the, this huge over-index over-representation of this community in the homeless population that we serve uh, through our 3,500 donation products across the country, we felt like it was a very relevant place for us to step in. And we work actually with, you know, giving partners that specifically support the LGBTQIA plus community. And we, we actually do that all year round during the month of Pride specifically sales of the collection, the Pride collection, go to go to our giving partners that are supporting uh, the LGBTQIA plus community. And since 2019, we've donated nearly 700,000 items um, to those organizations. And Kate, as a consumer and a member of the community, as well as a marketing leader, from your perspective, how can brands avoid rainbow washing? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is starting with being genuine. I think Patrick mentioned earlier, you know, think about how your brand, you know, connects with consumers, how it connects to clients, employees. It's really got to be organically connected to your own purpose and values. And so the way pride shows up for us looks a bit different than how it shows up for others. So I'd say that's one. A second is that the commitments that you make as a brand around pride need to be specific and impactful and also not limited to one time of year. So we, as I mentioned, work with these giving partners year-round, we basically just give them extra spotlight during Pride. Okay. Thank you for that, Kate. Let's now go back to Bruce at JW Marriott. And Bruce, your word, I believe, was advocacy. It was, yes. I think normally I've always thought about Pride Month in terms of joy, celebration, but I think some of your opening remarks today, Margaret, actually highlighted the reason why I chose advocacy because I feel, especially here in the United States, there is such an assault and attack on members of our community. And I feel this year more than ever, this um, need to advocate on behalf of all different segments of our LGBTQ plus community. And I also look at that too, even through a lens of a being a multinational company. We need to advocate on behalf of our associates all around the world, but also the, the travelers who are staying in our hotels. The lodging sector is a very interesting one in the context of this conversation because one could argue that it's all about welcoming and belonging. How do you think about that? You have many different countries where you are represented, the properties are present, and of course, people with many different beliefs availing of your lodging. What's your framework for thinking about this in the context of LGBTQ plus people? Well, I think similar to what Christoph was saying earlier, you know, with the approach with Avon, it's uh, not a one size fits all approach. However, I will say that we have 
our goal and our mission as a travel company, especially right now, as people are coming out of the pandemic, people are actually very excited to travel and get out at get back out and explore the world. Um, and so we want to make sure that we convey that we welcome all. And that does mean everyone. And I think, especially when you think about, let's say travelers that might be going to locations around the world where it's illegal or there is more challenges. Many times our travelers tell us our hotels are a place of refuge, a place like an oasis, you know, an escape that feels comfortable, it feels safe and welcoming. And when you are traveling the world and might be in a location like that, that's a very good thing. Myself personally, I'm going to the Middle East next week. And to know that I will have the safety, the security in this kind of oasis of our properties will be very important to me and give me more confidence as I travel. But I also think as associates, we have global policies to ensure that, you know, we have non-discrimination and affirmation of our sexual orientation, gender identity, et cetera. So that regardless if you are in a country where that's maybe not supported within Marriott International, it is. As we think about advocacy and supporting social issues, you mentioned the philosophy around welcoming all. I imagine that's subject to some controversy. How do you think about that? How do you internally dialogue on these issues? I imagine it could be subject to backlash in many markets, this inclusivity that you espouse. Yeah, I mean, I would say, you know, overall, when it comes to the LGBTQ plus community, you know, this is this is a place where or a space, you know, with these consumers that it's been super important to be out front and to be very vocal to ensure that we are conveying that, yes, we welcome all and we want you to feel that you can stay with us and feel secure, feel comfortable, feel safe. There is the challenge, though, because we cannot discriminate, right? So we also welcome all. And so sometimes that poses some challenges. And I think, you know, it's not for me to say what's the right type of business for hotels to take, but sometimes that can create controversy because they're not discriminating against other groups of travelers as well. But I think what's most important, if we think about it more from groups that have been typically marginalized around the, the world, it's very important to be, you know, conveying to everyone that we really truly value you and your business. Because I think at the end of the day, especially as a member of the LGBTQ plus community, I want to do business with companies that share my values as well. And so it's important for us to, to convey that. Bruce, anything in particular JW Marriott is doing for Pride Month that you would like to mm. highlight? So JW is one of 30 brands with Marriott International. So actually here just last weekend, we as a company uh, sponsored the Pride Parade for Capital DC Pride, which was fantastic. But similar to what's been shared today by others, it's really important that this is more of a 365 day a year conversation. And so we actually are a company that also has made contributions to the Matthew Shepard Foundation. We've made contributions uh, to the uh, True Colors Foundation to help combat LGBTQ homelessness in youth. So I think, you know, ensuring that you are out there and donating and working with partners 
who can help um, showcase that this is a year-round effort. It's not just about a marketing campaign. It's really about truly being in this because it's important and it's the right thing to do. Thank you, Bruce. Now we will welcome Chiki Cartagena. And I believe, Chiki, your word was igualdad or equality. Tell us why. Well, it, for two main reasons. First of all, today we are seeing tremendous democratic backsliding all over the world. Uh, Christoph mentioned Brazil, but Nicaragua, Cuba, Venezuela, a lot of Latin American countries are suffering from this. And immediately, the one of the first groups attacked, of course, are LGBTQ people. But I also said it because when I started as an activist in the late 80s, early 90s, yes, I'm dating myself, it was important. And I don't think I realized how important it was to have equal rights, right? And and so quality and when people were fighting for gay marriage, which at the beginning I didn't really even understand because I didn't I didn't even want to get married, of course now I am, but I didn't believe in the institution and and you know, people like Andrew Sullivan, who I've ne- sometimes I disagree with, um, mm-hmm. fighting for this equality, equal rights. And, and now, in retrospect, I really see the importance of having rights. Um, and I feel very concerned about the far right and how they're trying to take away our rights as LGBTQ people. So that's why I said equality. Now, Chiki, I know you're also a proud Latina. Yes. And um, the notion of intersectionality was touched on by Kate and others. How do you think about that, the intersection of your various facets of your identity? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, as a Latina, I felt early on in my career almost a responsibility to come out. You know, I was working in media and I was on the board of GLAD early on, you know, and I knew a lot of gay and lesbian people in my community who were very, very scared to come out. So I'm very proud to say I was the first lipstick lesbian on the Christina show when she first did a show on on gays, you know, it was sort of like scandalous. And my parents were, I invited them to come to the show and they were like, no, 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 we're not going to the taping, you know, we could not do that. But yet the show aired internationally and it was funny how my mom got calls and, you know, my dad got calls and it was very important to have representation, right? And so my Latina-ness has been a big factor in my being so out, you know, in the world of media, in the world of Hispanic media. And it really goes to show the impact, right, media um, has on our community. Some countries like Mexico and Spain are much more advanced than the United States, for example, with the Latino community and and their acceptance of LGBTQ. But, you know, we're getting there little by little, but yeah. And and Chiki, what advice do you offer to brands who are desirous of talking to the community and also to Latinas or Latinos? How do you, again, how does one navigate this intersectionality from a brand standpoint? Yeah, I mean, I think the federal panelists have, have alluded to the great diversity of the LGBTQ community. And I would say that's also true of the Latino community. We're not a monolith. Um, But for brand marketers, 
who really want to get this right. I think you study the diversity of the LGBT. We're, we're probably the most <laughs> diverse community out there from race to class to color to religion. I mean, we've got it all. And so if you learn from that, then you can learn that also Latinos are not monolithic and that, you know, Mexicans are different than Venezuelans than, and U.S. Hispanics are different than Latin American communities. So diversity is the key and understanding the nuances is super important. Okay, thank you for that, Chiki. And finally, waiting ever so patiently, our friend Megan in Austin, Texas at Big Commerce. So appropriately, perhaps for the final speaker, your word was optimistic, Megan. What gives you optimism? We've heard a lot of contrary thoughts. Where's that optimism coming from as we talk about Pride Month? Yeah, and I, I think it's a great word to have on the summation of everybody that we've we've heard and listened to, right? That, you know, if you use MLK's, you know, the arc of the moral universe bends towards, you know, justice you know, insert equality or equity inside of that, and then listen to how we've progressed. I mean, I, I transitioned in the early 2000s in a world that really didn't understand trans people at the best of time, and I was an executive in a software company. It was tough. But now you see more and more awareness for trans kids, for trans youth, for trans people, and as Cheeky talked about, understanding the diversity with inside of our LGBTQIA plus community is a broad spectrum. And so I think it's coming a long way. And I can just, as much as I see the political concerns that we have, and some of the speakers have, have talked about that and the, the ebbing away of, of rights and, and equality and, and state legislators and other places, I think that in the end, equity and equality will win out. And and just want to say something on Bruce's thing. I, I just returned from the Middle East and I was as nervous as heck to be in Amman, Jordan, and then even in Dubai, where you could be arrested and put in jail for up to 10 years. The best outcome would be you'd be deported from the country, but you could be in jail for 10 years for being a trans person in there, despite me being post-operative. So you know, there are concerns and therefore there are things that brands and businesses can do to help alleviate much of what's going on in society. And, and basically, I'm optimistic that brands and companies can push forward in the equity component 365 days a year. Megan, B-commerce, as I understand it, is a SaaS platform enabling, enabling uh, B2C and B2B businesses, but ostensibly you're a B2B business. So... What role do you have in Pride Month and where does um, honoring the community come into it as a B2B company? Yeah, I mean, several things that we do. One is as an e-commerce platform, we want to raise up marginalized communities. So we don't just do it for the LGBT community during Pride Month. We do it through Black History and, and other other things as well throughout the year. But as a company internally, we celebrate our employees and the diversity of our, our makeup, our tapestry of our employees through our ERGs, not just every month, but pra practically every week, right? There's intersectionality, as, as Cheeky was talking about, between you know, being black or BIPOC and proud, but also being lesbian, BIPOC and proud, or having other abilities and being BIPOC and proud. So we raise up our employees across the board every day. And it's not just myself or others getting on a panel for a particular day in Pride Month, but it's making sure that we live, breathe uh, diversity every minute of the day inside of the company. And, and I think um, 
Patrick or one of the speakers earlier talked about the, the HR practices, right? Even down into how you post a job description, right? And remove the sort of masculine thoughts. And you've got to have that evil salesperson to go after and be a hunter, right? You've, you've got to think about who you want to bring on board and then even into your you know, unconscious bias hiring and panels. So I think that as big commerce being one of the leading e-commerce platforms in the world, we, we try and live it every day. Megan, I know the topic of inclusive storytelling resonated deeply with you when we spoke. Mm -hmm. How do you think about that? Well, how can brands have inclusive storytelling, in particular in the context of Pride Month? Well, I, I wish it wasn't in the context. I know when we were doing the, the pre-chat, I said, for me, I wish there wasn't a Pride Month. Now, before anybody gets on my Twitter and everything else and attacks me for it, it's the fact that we're normal human beings, right? We, we are ourselves 365 days of the year, 24 hours a day, right? And so for me, it's about a brand looking at how they want to be seen by the world and the community, but it's also reflective of, and, and probably to, to, to Bruce's comments as well, right? You want to be seen as being inclusive 24-7. So who's the community that you want to serve? What is the outreach? And I think is either Patrick or Bruce raised another comment. If all you're doing is changing your logo on your website and LinkedIn, and you're just investing in a pride event because it's in your local city. And then you go, great, check mark done. I'm, I'm happy. I'm over and done. I've supported the LGBTQ community. That's wrong. You've got to do that 360 view of everything you're doing internally and then how you're, you're reaching audiences externally. For Cheeky, you know, who I've known for a few years and thank you for your service on Glad, the media has a huge role to play, right? If we think about the Ellen show or we think about Will and Grace, as much as we laughed at ourselves, it was also the ability to try and normalize things, just as Orange is the New Black started to normalize things, just as Pose started to showcase, you know, what the ballroom scene and, and features were back then, right? It's about normalizing us in society and brands can do that every day through the words they use, the imagery that they use. And then if in, they're in the commercial space, you know, what commercials and advertisements they're putting out on the media, you know, it, it is becoming more mainstream, but we have a long way to go. But I'm optimistic that this is the right path, right? Light is the best cleansing for dark and hate. Tremendous. Thank you for that, Megan. And that's a very good segue for us to go to our commitments round. Kate, I'm going to invite you to get us started. And this is the question. What is your commitment to inclusive storytelling and how will you measure success? Starting with Kate, I will go all around the group. I mean, I'll speak on, you know, for for Bombas, I think our commitment to inclusive storytelling is to always thread it through the lens of mission and make sure that we're really inclusive, particularly in the places where there's a, a big intersectionality with homelessness, which is our, our sort of at the heart of what we do. And in terms of how we measure success, I think uh, something that we look at quite closely more broadly is what is the awareness people have of our mission? And I think if we're doing a good job talking about issues that intersect with our mission, awareness of our mission will, will continue to increase. Thank you, Kate. Patrick, same question. Commitment to inclusive storytelling and success metrics, please. We are 
inherently focused on telling diverse stories, but across the alphabet, right? The 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 LGBTQIA plus alphabet. It's crucial for us to not stop there and to focus on making sure we're telling stories across racial lines, across class lines, across national lines. We're a global brand and things look very different in India versus Indonesia versus Brazil versus the U.S. And so thinking is as holistically and inclusively as we possibly it's not a commitment. It's just core to who we are and an absolute business necessity. The way we're going to know that we're doing well is if our our numbers continue to grow and users continue to come to us and feel increasingly more safe, secure, and able to connect with the people that they are trying to connect with via Grinder. Thanks, Patrick. And Maeve? This isn't just an issue, an LGBTQ plus issue, but it's something that we think about across all diverse underrepresented groups. And, you know, I talked a little bit earlier about how good storytelling yields identification. And if people identify with your story, they're going to give you feedback. So I don't have a good metric to to throw out there. But what really shows that you did a good job is if you get feedback from people internally, and you get feedback from people externally as well. Thanks, Maeve. Christoph? For me, there's probably an internal and an external component. I think Internally, I would say, continue to be a loud and supportive voice for the LGBTQIA plus community at the exec table of Avon. And, you know, how I would measure success for that is basically do we have good representation, we have true equity and equality and inclusivity. That's probably the internal component. I would say the external component, more from a brand perspective, is to continue to challenge all of our 70 plus markets to take a stand on LGBTQIA plus topics, you know, and I've given a few examples and they're great examples, but I would say there's still a few markets that haven't joined us yet on this journey. And so my commitment and success metric is to make sure that wherever it's legal, we can actually do more uh, for the community and be a louder voice uh, for the community. Thank you, Christoph. Bruce, please. So I would say that, you know, you can put out a great marketing campaign and you can you look at you know different impressions and metrics for success but i think you know for us it's really important to have people from your company be front and center that are authentic and visible and have the courage to be public about it just real quick i posted about my recent marriage on linkedin it went viral. I was not intending it for it to go viral, but I tagged the company because I know how important it is to be our authentic selves at work and at home. Overwhelming positive responses. However, I did get some hateful comments on there, but I think a great measurement of success on this was how many people were advocating on behalf of Marriott because they saw how proud and out and visible I was. And I think that is the authenticity that brands need to convey. Thank you, and congratulations on the wedding. Thank you. Cheeky commitment. I would encourage those who are listening uh, to us today who are marketers to really push their creative teams to drive the right message, but also their media buying teams to drive the message to the right places. Um, And that means beyond media, right? It's sponsorship. It's what we've talked about here, year-round engagement with the community. Um, because so often it's, you know, dots and spots. Most of the time you're not going to have a 
LGBTQ out leader in your marketing team. So you're depending on your creative agencies and your media buying agencies. So really push hard on them and make sure you're really reaching the people you want to reach. And Megan. I think it's for brands, understand the tapestry of the woven fabric that you're trying to build through the diversity of the people that you're trying to reach. Bring that internally. And just again, to echo Bruce, right? It's about leading with authenticity, integrity. And the other word I'd put in there is intersectionality, right? Can you weave it together and then push the narrative? It's up to us to change the society to really be a better place than we found it when we entered it. So, you know, how can we push forward in a non-aggressive, loving world and make that world that we want to live in? Megan, any recommended metrics? I'm always keen to ask about metrics, knowing our audience. Yeah, I mean, for, for, for me, it's personally, it's like many people that have, have lived authenticity for a long time, right? For me, it's almost two decades now. It's been those individual conversations I've had with people that have said, thank you. Thank you for, for being visible, right? And, and our visibility, everybody on the screen today and everybody that's watching, right, it's your visibility to the kids that are trying to find themselves in some kind of direction or people that are struggling, right? I'm not denying the world is a hateful place right now, especially, as Maeve said, for trans people. So the measure for me is is the people that I don't know, that I was never aware of, that have voiced or emailed or texted or tweeted me with their thanks for being visible. That's the individual measure. From a, from a company measure, we just continue to grow through our brands that we support on our e-commerce platform. So as long as we can continue to grow, I'm happy with that. Thank you. Well, with that, in thanking you, here are my ever so brief reflections. In preparation for this panel, I was reminded of the words of the writer, Janet Mock. She asserts, I believe that telling our stories first to ourselves and then to one another and the world is a revolutionary act. This power of storytelling applies equally at the human level and at the brand level. Storytelling is transformative. It has the capacity to evoke emotions and affect change. Thank you to our speakers for providing us a glimpse into your stories and the stories of the brands that you help lead. In listening to your stories, I'm struck by a perhaps underappreciated dimension of pride. Psychologists tell us that pride is one of the rare group of emotions that has the ability to inspire perseverance. Simply put, pride gives us grit. As we honor Pride Month, I would like to leave our audience with this thought. The question facing all of us as brands and as leaders is, can we summon the grit? Can we summon the grit to be genuine allies to our colleagues, customers, and the community? Can we summon the grit in our marketing to tell nuanced, inclusive stories that dismantle stereotypes and foster belonging? And can we summon the grit all year round? Once again, thank you to our wonderful panelists. We look forward to tracking your progress as you live out the commitments shared today. 
Thank you to my team, my co-producer, Alison Shiver, and today's production team, Aaron Proud, Aisha Ewing, Chiso Mezibuka, Mick Smith, blog editor, Daniel Alonso, designer, Gizem Garatis, and our entire Siegel and Gale team. And a reminder that you can listen to and share this conversation and all our previous CMO roundtables by following How CMOs Commit wherever you listen to podcasts. With that, all that remains is for me, Margaret Malloy, on behalf of all of us at Siegel & Gale to thank you and wish you a happy Pride Month. Thank you for joining How CMOs Commit. You've heard the strategic insights and professional commitments of top brand builders from around the world. I hope you also enjoyed my reflections on how this conversation is relevant to all marketers. Subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcast or your favorite podcast app. And please rate, review, and share this podcast. Until next time, this is how CMOs commit.